Hey, again, welcome to Citizens, guys. Good to have you here. I'm glad you're here. Why don't you guys go ahead and open up your Bibles. If you have it on your phone, you can grab it there. And you guys all on your seats, you should see uh, some notes. So you can go ahead and pull that out. You'll use that. Um, it's my privilege. Tonight we have a very special treat, all right? We have a, a very good friend of mine, and uh, you guys know her. She's no stranger, Courtney Huskisson. She's about to come, and she's going to explain a portion of Scripture to us, all right? And so what I want you guys to do is open up your Bibles, get it out in your phones, and as you follow along with her, she's going to explain what it means, and then the second thing that we're going to do here is apply it to our lives. I want everybody to say, so what? We read the Bible, we can understand what it means, but we're asking the question, so what? What does this mean for me, right? How does, what does this mean for my lives? And so right now, Courtney's going to answer those questions for us. So guys, give her a warm welcome, your friend and mine, Courtney Huskisson. Good evening. Good evening, friends. So I'm almost 100% positive that if I had a spirit animal, it would surely be Grumpy Cat. Anybody? There's a lot of things that I really love about Grumpy Cat. I love his little frowny face. Look at it. It's frowning. I love his, his outlook on life. We have the next one. This is literally my favorite photo ever. Yes. Do you see this? Isn't he so cute? I love his outlook on life. I kind of just love everything about Grumpy Cat. If you talk to my closest friends, they would not only tell you that I have the personality of a cat, meaning semi-aloof and only want to be your friend when I want to, but I actually make a very excellent Grumpy Cat face. There it is. We had a joke because Amy, my best friend, is the most positive and kind human you will ever be, and she decided to be best friends with Grumpy Cat. So that's, that's me. I love, I just love Grumpy Cat. Anybody else in here just love Grumpy Cat? Sometimes if I uh, don't have words, I'll just send people memes of Grumpy Cat. Anybody? Does anybody else text in memes? It's kind of the thing to do. Grumpy Cat, man, I just love him. But I was wondering this week, like, where does grumpiness come from? The existential question of what makes Grumpy Cat grumpy? I don't know. Everything, literally everything makes Grumpy Cat grumpy. What makes a grump a grump? What makes somebody grumpy? I was trying to find what a grump is. How would you define a grump? Jake Burchett. Jake is like the opposite of a grump. What defines a grump? Oscar the Grouch. I love that green guy in a garbage can. What makes someone else a grump? They're annoying, or rather they're annoyed by all things. The Grinch is a grump. What makes them a grump? They don't like Christmas. If you don't like Christmas, you're a grump, okay? Costco already has their Christmas stuff out, in case anyone's wondering. A grump, I, I, I chose to define it this way. A grump is somebody who grumbles. Ugh. Lack of comedy? That's good. Do you guys know some grumblers? If you're sitting next to a grumbler, poke them in the spleen. <laughs> you're like, I don't even know where that is. Right. <laughs> you guys know some grumblers? A grump is somebody who grumbles. And so then the question becomes, but what causes one to grumble? What makes us, like, have that feeling? People. I have a theory. 
I have a theory that we grumble because grumblers grumble, grumps grumble because they're not getting their way. Right? Grumbers, grumblers grumble because they're not getting in their way. Think about it. When you're hungry, do you grumble? Why do you grumble? Because you're hungry, right? You want food. When you get a really long essay assignment, you grumble. Why? Because you don't want to do it. When, now hold on to your seats for this. When the season ends on Netflix. You grumble. Why? Because you want another episode, right? Anybody in here watch BBC Sherlock? You don't understand the pain unless you've seen BBC Sherlock. It's two years in between each season. Two years! Because it's BBC, that's why. We grumble when we don't get our way. Does anybody agree with me? We grumble when we don't get our way. Grumbling is a result of a self-word focus. I'm not getting what I want. Grumbling is a self-word focus. Today we're going to jump into a text to a bunch of grumblers. Anybody excited? Like, I love grumblers. We're going to jump into a text tonight. And it's going to be people that are just grumbling. They're not getting what they want. You can almost hear the grumbling coming off the page of your Bibles. You just hear this coming from your Bibles. So let's find out. What are these, who are these grumblers and what are they grumbling about? Anybody interested? I am. I heard you in the back. All right, turn yourselves to Luke Luke chapter 15, it's the third gospel in the New Testament, the third book in the New Testament. We're going to chapter 15, starting at verse 1. If you're here tonight um, and you are sitting, which is everybody, there's this piece of paper on your seat. You're going to want this. There's fill in the blanks. I'm even going to draw a diagram tonight. And you get to sketch the diagram. Aren't you thrilled? Two steps too far. So find yourself a pen, find yourself a stick of eyeliner or lipstick if you don't have a pen, maybe a chisel and a hammer. Are you there? Luke 15. If someone has their Bible app open and they're actually texting, just text them like a really mean emoji. Okay. (laughs) All right, listen up. 15, verse 1, what's the word? What's the first word? Now. Now. Okay. Now the tax collectors Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes did what? Are you looking? And the Pharisees and scribes did what? Uh, I do believe they grumbled. Thanks Max. Show me your best grumble. Uh, uh. All right. I have to say this next voice, this next word in Jimmy Fallon's ill voice. Anybody watch? Yeah. Okay. So the Pharisees and the scribes sing, grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Yeah. Say, yeah. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Yeah. Yeah. We got some grumblers. 
Y'all are grumbling. Who are these grumblers in this story? They're this group of people named Pharisees. Say Pharisees. Pharisees are super duper log keepers. If they had a shirt, it would have a Superman logo on it, but instead it would say Torah, which is the law of the Hebrew Bible, right? These guys are super duper law keepers, and they are super grossed out ew, that Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. My first point this morning, this evening, oof, I've only had two cups of coffee today. I needed two cups of coffee today. I didn't sleep through the whole day. My first point is those who grumble, those who grumble miss the mission. Those who grumble miss the mission. You see, this is a mission. This is the mission of the Pharisees versus the mission of Jesus. Why do we grumble? Because we're not getting what we want, right? We're, We're grumbling because we don't get what we want. These Pharisees are grumbling because they're not getting what they want. There is something they wanted. There's a mission that they wanted, and they're not getting it from Jesus. These Pharisees had a selfward focus. They wanted a Messiah, meaning this person that was promised to them thousands of years prior that God would send to save their people. And they wanted, he wanted a Messiah, a religious leader that would like get rid of all of the lowlifes. Right? They wanted, he wanted a Messiah that would put them on the top of the political world. Israel, number one nation on the earth. That's what they wanted. And what did they find instead? This bro that's claiming to be a Messiah is hanging out with ew, tax collectors and sinners. Their selfward focus missed the mission. Their selfward focus missed the mission. The mission of the Pharisees did not include sinners. When I was in high school, I was a band kid. Whoop, whoop. I've been having strange rec- retroactive dreams. Like, last three nights, I've been waking up to dreams where I was, like, back in the band playing music. Maybe it's because it's football season and I miss, uh, miss, I miss playing my flute. I miss being a drum major. Um, so I was a band kid. And, uh, but you would think as a band nerd that I wouldn't be too concerned about what people thought of me, you know? Because you're kind of already on this like awkward rung of the social status, right? Because you're a band nerd, it's just what you are. But I learned this weird complexity of band. There's kind of like, there's even three subcategories within band. Right, you've got the cool kids in band, you've got the A plus students in band, you've also got the stoners, mostly the drummers. <laughs> and. No offense if you're a drummer. Um, And then you've got, like, the nerdier-than-band-nerd geeks, right? So, I mean, you've got the cool kids that, like, we had, like, almost every year it was a band kid that got nominated for Homecoming King and Queen. Almost every year. But then you also had the kids that, like, you saw on that corner of the school that you know you don't want to go to unless you want to, like, feel weird after you go there, right? Like, strange smoking stoner corner, right? Everyone has one at their school. Or the, I, or the table at the lunch table where they're like whipping out Dungeons and Dragons, right? Or they're like trading Pokemon cards. And the thing is, is I had friends in all three subcategories of the band, right? But my senior year as a drum major, which means I got to lead all 300 of these band kids uh, on football games and, and basketball games. And so I had friends in all three of these categories. But unfortunately, in my immature mind, 
I learned that where you sit at lunch makes a big statement. Right? Where you choose to sit at lunch makes a big statement. And so there was the table of the nerdier than band nerd Dungeons and Dragons nerds sitting at the table. And I had great friends in that category, but I found myself during lunchtime going, I don't see them, I don't see them, I don't see them, I don't, hey, goodbye! Oh. And on my way. I never ate lunch with them because I was so afraid of being lumped into that geekier category of the geeky world. <laughs> this, is the, this is the mindset of a Pharisee. Where, who you associate with makes a big statement. In this passage, when it says tax collectors and sinners, you got to think like traitors. When you think tax collectors, you think traitors. These are the people who have willfully stabbed you in the back, who have talked about you behind your back, who have posted something on social media that was purposely offensive to you, Right? When you think sinners, you think the stoners on the corner that you know that you're not supposed to hang out with or like the really loose girls that you know they have a shady history and you don't want to be like them. Right? You think of these people that you would not eat lunch with. Who you eat lunch with makes a big deal and Jesus was sitting with the wrong crowd. Jesus was sitting at the wrong lunch table. He was sitting at people who did not have their life together, and the Pharisees were upset. It made them grumble. The Pharisees' mission did not include people who didn't have their life together. The mission of the Pharisees only included people who had it together. Who would you cringe to see Jesus hang out with? Last week, Drew talked about us I don't know what happened, but I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, Donald Trump, is that what it was? No? You said that? Okay. Last week, Drew talked about being in the box towards someone. Do you guys remember that? It's that person that you've made automatic assumptions about. Two weeks ago, Sam talked about the Good Samaritan. That, like, compares to our day of, like, the person from ISIS being kind. Think of that person that you're like, if Jesus was sitting with, either you'd be like, Jesus is sitting with them, or like, yeah, you get him, Jesus. You get him, okay? Think of that person. This is who Jesus is sitting with. So we know that the Pharisees are grumbling. Say grumble, or just grumble. They're not getting their way. It's the, it's the mission of the Pharisees versus the mission of Jesus. So if we're having a competition here, what is the mission of Jesus? What is the mission of Jesus? Well, Jesus is going to tell it to us in a story. He's going to tell us a couple of stories. So look back down at Luke 15. Get to verse 3, I believe. I lost my page, so bear with me. Check it out. Verse 3, are you there? So he, Jesus, told them this parable. This is the story of Jesus' mission. We're going to find out what it is. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, 
does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Give me some sheep noises. (laughs) Some rejoicing sheep. (laughs) Just so. Let's get back. Verse 7. Just so I tell you. Check this out. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Story number two. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. For I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is more joy but for the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let me tell you these stories in a little different way. Can I tell you the Courtney version of these stories? Story number one. I have a lot of puppies in my life. Yeah. One is my chubby little latte puppy. His name is Latte. He's supposed to be 10 pounds, and he's 15, which is a lot when you're only 15 pounds. Gaining five pounds means a lot. He's chubby. He sleeps under things, under blankets, under closets. He likes to sleep. Yeah, think about that one. Then there's my brother's dog, who is a 185-pound Mastiff Newfie. He is lazy and a floor rug. He's a professional floor rug, but he's great, and I love him. And then there's my other brother's two dogs. One is a Border Collie Aussie Shepherd mix, otherwise known as way too smart for their own good. When she gets bored, she causes havoc because she's bored. And then there's the incredibly talkative German Shepherd Husky mix named Harlow. She loves to talk. When she goes on a walk, she's like, she's not barking, she's not howling, she's just, she's very strange. So, Imagine this with me. If I let my latte dog outside and we tell him to go find a spot, that's his words, and he goes and finds a spot. But let's say he got adventurous and went on a walk. We have an open, our, uh, our fence is kind of strange because we have a park behind our house. So it's a short fence and then a tall fence and then it's open. We never built gates. We've lived there for 17 years. We've never built gates. So it's open on the side. So you could come in my backyard easily. Um, <laughs> So what if Latte took an adventure down the road and, and he just kept going and didn't come back? My chubby dog is lost. Okay, pop quiz. Are you ready? I know this isn't school. But A, would I go, huh, I have three other dogs. I'll go snuggle with one of them. Or would I B, drop everything I was doing and go find my puppy? How many of you say A? Yeah, cold hearted. How many of you say B? Yeah, yeah, I would. Okay, story number two. I am a diehard pen nerd. You thought it was bad enough as a band nerd, but no, I am also a pen nerd. I have a very specific brand of pen that I use, okay? If you ever want to gift me a pen, that's all it would take for me to love you forever. It would be a Pilot G2 gel pen. 
okay? But it has to be 0.38. Don't you hand me a 0.5? Or worse, don't you dare hand me a 0.7. Right? Too much. 0.38. Here's the deal. Every year, I love, when I was in school, I just graduated in May. When I was in school, I loved to go school supply shopping. This is just pointing out my nerdiness. Anybody else? Nobody else? Thank you. Okay, so I'd always go school supply shopping, and I would always get a fresh pack of Pilot G2.38, okay? And I would go through them each semester. I'd buy a whole pack each semester. I was like a pack of five, okay? Loose pens. So I was on my very last Pilot G2 pen, and I whipped it out to do an assignment, but wait, it's not in my bag! I couldn't find it. I have a backpack with like a thousand pockets, and I looked in all the pockets. I dumped my bag over. I turned my purse over. I even cleaned my room. What? Okay. I could not find my pen. I turned my house over, and I finally found it wedged between the couch cushion that I was sitting and doing my homework on earlier. Whew. I was so excited about it, I tweeted. I was like, I found it. It's back. Yes. How much more excited would I be if that was a paycheck? Oh my God. How many of you, some of you just got some jobs in here. Way to go, way to go, yeah. What if that was my paycheck that I lost, the paycheck that fills my gas tank? I would definitely turn my house over to find it. These stories that Jesus tells is to the purpose of telling us his mission. So what do these stories reveal about Jesus' mission? I believe it reveals three things about Jesus' mission. Get out your papers. Write these three things down. First one. Jesus seeks the lost with fervor and love. Yes, I can speak sign language, so I know what you're saying. What? <laughs> Jesus seeks the lost with fervor and love. Think about it. First, he seeks them lovingly. You got the pop? Some of you got the pop quiz correct. I would do anything to find my latte dog if he went lost. Why? Because I love him. He's so cute, right? Guys, you are not just a number to Jesus. You're not just sheep number 99 out of 100, right? You're not just human number 4 billion out of 6 billion on this planet. Jesus would drop everything for you. And he loves us fervently, just like I would fervently turn my house over to not just find a pen, but if it was a paycheck, more than that, a human life that is worth so much more than the material things we have. Jesus would turn every stone over on this planet to find us. When we talk about lost, what are we talking about? Ever since the fall of mankind, ever since the birth of our sin, We've been lost. We've been wandering around, kicked out of the place that we were created for. We're far away from home. 
God created us for a home with him, and our sin makes us lost looking for that home. But check this out. When I say Jesus searches for you, I do not mean that he has a pair of binoculars up in heaven. He's like, oh, found you. Hey, way over there. No, no. When I say Jesus is looking for you, I mean that he came in the form of a human being like you and I in the same form as us so he could look us in the eye, put his hand on their shoulder and say, come home. Come home. In fact, Jesus is like the shepherd in this story because he doesn't just say, come home. He's willing to carry you on his shoulders. And he did. Jesus put the cross on his shoulders that was all of our sin, all of our shame. Jesus carried the cross so that he could carry us home. This is what it means to say that Jesus seeks the lost with fervent love. Second thing we see about Jesus' mission is that he saves the repentant. Jesus saves the repentant. Look back at that verse. It says, it's at the end of the first story. It says, there will be more Joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Repentance is our response to Jesus' search for us. Jesus is not interested in the 99 people or the 99 sheep that don't have 99 problems, okay? He's not interested in people who have their lives together. He's not interested in people who aren't willing to repent. He's interested in the person who doesn't have it together. He's interested in the person who doesn't have it together and who responds to what he's done through repentance. To those who recognize that they are lost and far from home, God, and who want to go home. Repent does not mean perfectionism, which is a lot coming from a perfectionist, okay? I have issues. I'm getting over them. Repentance does not mean perfectionism. It literally means to turn over and over and over in the Bible. God says, return to me. Come home. Return to me. Return to me. All through the scriptures, he says, just return. This is like when Latte, my dog, starts walking away, right? He's going one way, and I go, right? And he's like, mostly he's just like, what do you want, crazy lady? But when he turns around and starts walking to me, that's repentance. That's repentance. It's a turn. It's a change of a direction. Repentance is not perfectionism. It's a change of direction. We're walking one way. The Pharisees were walking their way. They were walking towards their mission, their way, what they want to do. Life is going to happen according to their plan. And when Jesus says, come home, he's calling us to repent, to stop walking our direction and turn around and face him. To face Jesus in all of our situations. This last piece, I think, 
we would be lacking a lot if we missed. I dare you to go through that passage and circle and or electronically highlight all the times that it says rejoice or joy. We started this passage with a group of people who were doing what? It's not that long ago. Okay. We were starting with a group of people who were doing what? Rumbling, right? Grumbling. And Jesus responds to their grumbling. They're grumbling. They're grumbling to say, rejoice in this. Rejoice in this. Have joy in this. And what is it that he's having joy in? Last piece of Jesus' mission. Jesus rejoices in the found. Again, it said there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 persons who need no repentance. Man, Jesus not only radically loves you, calls you to come home and follow him through repentance, but he gets super excited when you do that. Super excited when you do that. Real quick, I want to write some things on the board. Are you ready for this diagram? Okay. Can you guys see this? You're going to have the hardest time over here. Can you guys see it over there? Okay. Okay. What does that say? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Okay, what's the first piece of Jesus' mission? Point number one, what's the first piece of Jesus' mission? Seek. Seek. Okay. Oh, I did this wrong. It's okay. We'll get over it. Okay. He seeks. This is this is compassionate seeking. This is love. This is seeking. What happens in response to seeking? What's the second part of Jesus' mission? He saves through what? Himself. <laughs> but repentance. Wow, my handwriting just got ridiculously worse. So Jesus seeks the lost. He saves the repentant. And then what's the last step? Rejoice. Oh, I just forgot how to spell rejoice. Okay, is that it? You know when you look at a whiteboard and you think you got it right and then you step back and it's wrong? Is it spelled right? Okay. All right. Check this out. What? Circle of life. Just kidding. It's not. Okay. So it starts with Jesus, right? Do you see this? It starts with Jesus. He comes down. He gets like you and us. He gets in our face and says, come home. I will bear the price of your sin. Come home. Okay, he sought us. Through compassionate love, through the cross. Okay? Those who repent are saved, and they get to party. But then, is this where we stay? Like, if this is us, we're like, woo, Jesus found me, yeah, party, right? And we go over here, and we're just, like, over here hanging out, like, having a blast, like, woo. 
That's the emoji that like is the celebratory emoji. Does anybody else? Okay. Okay. <laughs> do we stay over here? Where do we go next? We grab hands with Jesus, or just like hang out to him if you have a hand holding issue, right? We grab hands with Jesus and we start over with someone else, right? We don't do the saving. Remember Jesus, big capitals. But we follow this, right? We begin to seek those around us. A few questions I have for you. Do you find joy in your salvation? If you're a Christian in here, do you find joy in your salvation? Do you know how many times, like an hour, I have to pray Psalm 51.12 that says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because there are times when I forget this. I take Jesus for granted and I forget it and I have to pray, Jesus, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I challenge you tonight, if you're a Christian here and you have lost that joy, when you think of what God has done for you and you've lost that joy, pray Psalm 51.12 tonight. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Do you find joy when others are saved? Do you find joy when Jesus meets another life? When another person follows Jesus, do you find joy? Or do we sit with the Pharisees and go, that's not who I would choose for my A-team. Dear Lord, no. Do we find joy? I was challenged this year when I was reading through Romans. We're reading, I'm reading through Romans with a couple of people. Um, and, and Paul is writing this letter to Romans. And, and he, he starts out, he's talking about preaching the gospel of Romans. And he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. And that word eager just threw an arrow to my heart. Am I eager? Am I like, woo, when it comes to like people knowing Jesus, when people like not dying, does that make me excited? Do I get eager about that? And so if you're like me, maybe you're a Christian here, like that's what we need to pray today is like, God, restore me the joy of your salvation and make me eager to see it happen in other people's lives. And let me tell you this, if you're a Christian, this is not like I think what John Cuff, if you don't know John Cuff, he's really funny, but he like, he like paraphrased the like, if I give my life to Jesus, I'm going to go from zero to hut in 30 seconds. Like he's going to like take me out in the middle of Africa and leave me there and I'm going to have to like follow Jesus in Africa, right? This is not about radically changing your situation. It's about radically changing your attitude. Who do you see through your eyes on a daily basis that Jesus is seeking through you? Who, who is Jesus looking at through your eyes and saying, I'm looking at that person, are you? Let us change our mindset to see the people around us with an eternal perspective. So here's the big idea, three words. Three words. The found seek. Just drop my gum on the ground. The found seek. Say that back to me. 
it's not chewed gum. (laughs) (laughs) The found seek. So if you've been found in here, ask yourself, whose mission are you on? Are you on your own personal mission? Or are you on the mission of Jesus? Are you letting Jesus seek people through your eyes, through your hands, through your actions, through your words? And if you're in here, and you would say, I don't really know who Jesus is, and because I don't know him, I don't really know if I want to give my life to him. I would ask that you pray the prayer tonight of Jesus, show me who you are. Show me who you are. Jesus is looking you in the eye. He's holding your shoulders, and he's saying, come home. You were made for God. Come home. I paid the price so I could carry you on my shoulders. Come home. So if you'd be in the lost category today, I want to ask you, what is stopping you from coming home? The found seek. If there's one thing, maybe two things, that I want citizens to be, citizens not as this event that we put on Wednesdays, but citizens as in like the heartbeats sitting in these chairs, citizens as in you. If there's anything I want citizens to be is one radically in love with Jesus and radically telling it to other people. Radically meaning living it out in your life. The found seek. Lord, help us do it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for who you are.